is Sarah Gillette and this is Talks with the Tiger Mom. Today I thought I would do something a little more upbeat, lighthearted, maybe practically useful for most people in their, in their lives. Um, as a part of my educational leadership program, I've had to read just a plethora of leadership books. Um, and several, in fact, by the same author, a guy named Simon Sinek, that I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with. Um, and one of the books that I wanted to talk about today is called um, Leaders Eat Last. And it was, you know, of the three Sinek books that I read this year, I would say that this one was my favorite. And so I thought I would pull out some of the things that were most meaningful to me and I thought would be most useful for others and sort of summarize them and share them with you and hopefully it's something that you can use or that I will be reminded of later when I become leader of some sort. So the first topic that I'm going to talk about is this idea of abstraction. So what is abstraction and why is it bad for leaders to engage in abstraction and the importance of culture. So what aspects of organizational culture lead to the downfall of a company or school or whatever type of organization? I also wanted to talk about dopamine and the effects of using dopamine for motivation. And then the last thing that I want to talk about is leading millennials and some of the um, specifically unique aspects of being millennial and how generational divides can impact organizational culture. Because I think that's important to remember as we millennials get older and older, we've got a new generation coming into the workforce and then we still have Gen X um, and then we have the boomers leaving the workforce. So it's important to understand some of those um, unique characteristics. But the first topic is abstraction. And he opens with a story about a little girl in California who is riding her bicycle one day on the sidewalk and a car comes zooming around, uh, speeding through the neighborhood and pops the curb and runs over this little girl, breaking all of her bones and killing her instantly. And then he contrasts it with a story about the Syrian civil war. And he explains that hundreds of thousands of people have been killed by chemical warfare. And then he asks the reader, which one of these stories, when you hear it, is most impactful, most meaningful, which one hurts you the most? And most people tend to say that the story about the little girl getting killed, getting run over by a car, is more impactful. And this is used as a demonstration of this concept of abstraction. Sinek also uses a quote that is attributed to Joseph Stalin, which says, a single death is a tragedy. A million deaths are a statistic. So what is abstraction? When I first heard the word, I kind of uh, correlated it with the word dehumanization in a way. It's a little bit different from that, but the idea is that the more abstract people become, the further away they get from us, the more capable we are of doing them harm. 
And he also talked about Stanley Milgram's 1961 experiment where researchers asked people to play students. So you had teachers and, and students. And the students were supposed to listen to the teachers as they required them um, to shock, give electric shocks to their students who answered questions incorrectly. And throughout the study, they found that the farther away the so-called student was from the teacher, the more likely the teacher would follow through on shocking the student. So they started out right next to them, then across the room, then outside the room. And so <laughs> once they got far enough away, um, about half of the participants would go all the way to the highest levels of electric shock, which, as far as they knew, had the possibility of even killing the other participant. So this just goes to show you and again demonstrate this idea of abstraction and how important it is as a leader to keep people around you close to you. People who follow you need to be nearby, you need to see them in real life um, as often as possible so that they don't become an abstraction. Um, another pitfall that is mentioned is using dopamine for motivation. So Sinek talks about three, no, four different chemicals. Um, you have endorphins, dopamine, serotonin, and oxytocin. And endorphins and dopamine uh, are considered the selfish chemicals, and then serotonin and oxytocin are considered the selfless chemicals. And he describes using dopamine to cause mo to motivate people is very effective, but it's not long-term and it doesn't have lasting impacts. So dopamine can come from extrinsic factors like awards or recognition or financial incentives, things like that. I mean, as a teacher, I think about in the classroom, when we have little kids, we use candy and stickers, things like that, to motivate our students to behave and to stay on task, to complete work. And these, um, you know, these strategies um, do release dopamine in the minds of our students, and it does work, it's very effective, um, but it does not result and the lasting impacts on intrinsic motivation the way that serotonin and oxytocin do. Um, so it's important to think about that as well. And when I was thinking about real life examples of abstraction and using dopamine to motivate, I was trying to think of maybe some historical examples of where public policymakers or um, people, world leaders had done something like this or made this type of mistake. And the very first thing that came to my mind was the Dayuzin, which is the Great Leap Forward. And as you may know, the Great Leap Forward was considered to be the greatest famine in human history. Um, a lot of people say that, you know, Mao Zedong is responsible for the most deaths in human history, mainly because of the Great Leap Forward, um, because it was responsible for so many starvation deaths. There are estimates anywhere between 30 and 50 million people. 
So the Great Leap Forward was an attempt to collectivize and industrialize China quickly in order to compete with the West. And they focused on two major things, steel production and agricultural output. But the greatest focus was on production figures, on numbers. So people would make up numbers. They wanted the accolades, they wanted the acknowledgement, they wanted the party to recognize them as um, a village that could produce great um, steel or agricultural output. And so they began doing things that um, were not necessarily productive in order to get um, that uh, acknowledgement and to be considered um, good members of the party. Um, and so I think that's a good example of how a group such as the CCP used dopamine to motivate their people, but the results were really quite disastrous. And the same example, you can think of abstraction as well, because there are lots of party members who have been interviewed since who said, we didn't know, you know, that these people in the village were starving. We saw the numbers on paper and everything looked good. But when you actually went out there and saw that there was nothing to eat, that would have been very different. So that's that example of abstraction and how important it is to be amongst people. Um, who follow you. So that's abstraction and um, dopamine. The second thing I wanted to talk about was culture and recruiting for culture. So Cynic really does believe that in order to create the best um, set of employees for your organization, you really need to look at recruiting for culture to find people who are a good fit for your culture um, and that grades and pedigree are less important than character um, and that you should be patient in finding someone who is really the perfect candidate and using that whole person concept to find employees. There are basically three different ways of recruiting. You can look at culture, which is hiring for best fit, looking at personality, finding people who have values that align with the mission and vision um, or the values and behaviors that your company has. You can hire based on skills, and that's people who fit the job description. They have the experience or the background necessary to perform those skills. And then you have stars, and these are people who have raw intelligence, just mental agility and flexibility, and an ability to learn new skills very quickly in the future. And when we look at all three of these, um, it still seems to be that culture is the best fit, but not necessarily to just find someone who's exactly like you or find someone who acts exactly like your company acts, you know. It's more important to find someone who can contribute to the culture um, or the mission and vision that you have for your company. So for example, um, if you want to have a more inclusive or diverse group of a school who that is more tolerant, then you might look for someone who exhibits those values, someone who can push you in that direction. You might look for a more diverse candidate 
or someone with more diverse experiences. Um, and those, those types of organizations tend to do well. Um, the last thing I wanted to talk about was millennials. So he, Simon Sinek, and this is the part of the book that I really did not enjoy reading, um, simply because he talked about millennials and boomers specifically and their generational divide. But he is neither a boomer nor a millennial. And so I felt like he doesn't really have the experience necessary to talk about the divides between us because if you think about it millennials our parents are boomers the people that we love the most in the world are boomers and i don't really think that there is as big of a divide as a lot of people think of um in fact i think more of the issues are coming between gen x and uh, gen gen z i guess um but that's just my personal opinion and it's being maybe misconstrued but some of the characteristics of millennials are that they were born between 1981 and 1994 so they're all between about 25 and 40 years old now um, and some of our unique circumstances um, are that we are the first generation to grow up with the internet smartphones and devices so we are considered basically digital natives our parents are boomers and they had a specific parenting style that encouraged cynicism and individualism. Um, some people say that they also tend to coddle their children and create a sense of entitlement. Some of the negative stereotypes that cynic attributes to millennials are that they're lazy, that they don't accept feedback well, that they're entitled and impatient. And he gives a few positive stereotypes, including the fact that we're good at technology, that we're more inclusive and accepting of others, and that we believe in causes. I think a lot of these things could be, these descriptors could be used to describe anyone from any generation, um, but he tends to believe that this is sort of how we are and he also gives us some ideas on how to manage millennials and how to help them but i think any of these um, pieces of it, pieces of advice could be used with any generation the first one is to have a cell phone free environment and so when they're when we have meetings we should be taking notes on paper not using computers um, he also says that we should take advantage of their skills millennial skills um, by using them to help with branding or technology he says that we need to mentor and support them give them op the opportunity to fall not fail and an opportunity to develop human skills, which he says many millennials are lacking. Um, he says that they need to teach leadership skills. They need to um, be taught how to give and receive feedback, um, that they need to be led by example. They should be given the ability to talk about their failures and you should talk about your failures. Um, you should help them love themselves and take a chance on them. So as I look at all of these, I feel like um, besides the technology one, any of these could be used with anybody. 
that you um, have in your organization, not just millennials. So I will say that this book is useful until I believe that chapter, and it's at the very end. I think it was an addendum, something that he added later, but I don't think it's very useful, and I feel like it was written from a place of mistrust and just disrespect for millennials, um, which I didn't think was warranted. He also talked about um, parenting and how he hates going into restaurants where um, kids are playing on their phone and parents are disengaged, which is obviously awful, but he also has no children of his own. I don't even think he's married. And so for him to give parenting advice just seems completely unwarranted and I just I really got turned off when I got to that chapter about millennials and parenting but um, it is a good read up until that point so I do recommend it especially if you are considering leadership positions or want to just have better leadership skills in your own life thanks <music>